Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can change the world. One of the um, pivotal moments I have in relationships is I'll say past the first meeting, past the drive-through, past the pleasantry exchange, where you really start to get to know what makes people tick. And uh, our next guest is a woman I've always wanted to get deeper with. Uh, she has an incredible background. I mean, talk about a world traveler uh, with her diplomatic security background, her State Department background. She traveled the world from Cairo to Beijing to Venezuela, uh, Belgium, Washington, D.C., New York, and was probably there during pivotal periods that we all experienced from afar, but right, she was right in the thick of things. Uh, today, she's in the private sector. She's the CSO of Nielsen. And she shared with me an experience uh, called the Protective Intelligence Summit hosted by Ontic. And I thought it would be good for us to maybe make that real, to share our experiences a little bit, what we learned and some of the actionable intelligence that we can apply in the future. But Wendy Bashan, I got to tell you, it's great to have you on The Great Conversation. Thanks so much, Ron. I, I feel privileged to actually be able to have the conversation with you. I watched the podcast, uh, feel like a, a frequent caller, but first time caller at the same time. A frequent caller. That's good. That's good. You know, I, I got to have a, a pithy joke to come back on that one. And I don't have one. I think I screwed it up. I think I think the way they say it is frequent listener, first time caller. So <laughs> that's awesome. That is so great. Anyway, we shared this experience. We're in Austin, Texas, by the way, the first time I've been in Austin, Texas. So I came in a few days early and tasted the food and some of the music, and it, it was a good experience. Uh, but here we are, you know, kind of early on after things started opening up, it was good to see people again. Absolutely. Um, that was my second time to be in Austin, and what a great backdrop. I mean, the city is just fabulous, but like you said, coming out of a kind of a sheltered in place situation with COVID to be able to come back in person and and feel comfortable about having conversations and talking about the new challenges that are, we're all going to face going forward. That's right. And, and usually I'm not an event guy, believe it or not. Here's a guy, Ron Warman, who's put on the great conversation, the leadership event, but I kind of invented that event because I didn't like most events. <laughs> I, 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 as the title assumes, uh, I like this idea of a great conversation and a great conversation means transparency, vulnerability, the ability to not only share your strengths, but also your weaknesses, your victories, as well as your defeats. I'll never forget Mike Mason from Verizon having one of the best presentations ever, a great conversation, because he shared how he screwed up early on in his career, especially in managing people, and how that fed his legacy that he would know, be known for since, which is you know empowerment of individuals within a process. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is you and I were able to not only have a very private executive council with other CSOs regarding some of the challenges in um, consuming data, consuming intelligence data, 
but more importantly, making sense of it and then making sure it's shared contextually across the executive management team so that we can have near real time planning strategy around the risks and opportunities that the data presents. Because that's, if you remember me opening up in our private session, it was CEOs are, are, are their successes determine how they navigate risk and opportunity. So as we started to talk, what unfolded for you? What was front of your mind as we sat in that first session with other CSOs at the table? Let me, let me start first with, with the power that I think the great conversation brings, which is authenticity. Because all those elements that you mentioned, Ron, are the things, the experiences that are common in all of us. And I think that casual conversation is where you create powerful moments of both decision-making, strategizing, ideating, creativity, whatever you wanna look at. Um, I think the benefit that I felt out of the executive session was that commonality that I, that I felt in the room in listening to the other CSOs talk about the challenges that they have. We all know that everyone has risks there's nothing that we can do that make the risk go completely away. But each one of those participants was sharing an experience where they may have failed or they may have succeeded. And they were sharing that with the rest of us around the table to, to, to take back, right? And to use or to discard however we wanted to, to do it. The power in that is that you never feel alone. Never. And I, again, I think that's another optimization of the great conversation is that you don't feel alone because you hear people talking about common problems, common challenges, and common successes that encourages more ideating and creativity. So true. So true. And one of the things that was interesting in talking to Manish Mehta after his session on the interstate highway, creating the analog for the information highway that's changing security. Um, I, I, was, I was talking about, you know, we, we tend to be defensive in nature. Our language is defensive in security, right? And it should be, it's legitimate. At the end of the day, we're, you know, we're, we're that line in the sand uh, that we're hoping not many incidents cross over. And if they do, we help the company you know, with resilience strategies if they do occur. But at the end of the day, if we take the tack, and I'm doing this because of Manisha's presentation, if we take the tack that information is power and we uniquely as an industry may have the tools now to aggregate a tremendous amount of information, assess it, and provide it contextually across the operating units of our company in a strategic way. Suddenly I start, I don't know about you, I'm starting to hear offensive strategies. That is, right? I, I, I'm, starting to see, I'm starting to see a picture form that literally changes our career paths. What do you think? 
Oh, 100%. I remember coming out of Manisha's conversation and, and I was so jealous because I love analogies. I'm a, I'm a visual person. And that analogy that he used of the railroad system connecting information, I mean, I was jealous that I didn't think of it, right? Because I thought it was fabulous. Enough about that. Um, data is getting bigger and bigger by the minute, right? And our ability to have mechanisms to connect the dots, to take that intelligence and pull it from all the different avenues and, and, and locations and give it in a way that you can, the human brain can only digest so much, right? So you need that connectivity to help us to then come up with the why it impacts and matters to us. So that as executives, whether we're the CEO or the CSO, we can take that information and act on it, right? Because security is expected to be an action-oriented function, right? Um, and I think most people expect that. And, and I would expect it of ourselves. So having the information that helps us make informed decisions enables us to act appropriately. And uh, the more data that we can pull together, it's gonna to be harder and harder unless you have platforms that bring those things together. I, I, again, I, I loved the analogy that Manish used about the rail, you know, the old railroad system because it just shows the breadth and the depth that we can truly go in the future with AI, with virtual um, mechanisms, with just, big data as a whole, storing it, processing it, and then utilizing it. Well, it's, it's really interesting. You know, I'm a history buff. So like you, I'm totally jealous when he's talking about this because I was very well aware of Eisenhower and somehow lobbying Congress for that interstate highway, which can you imagine today trying to make that happen? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and he had the creds, right? because he was a five-star general that fought a war. So he made it a defense, in the midst of a cold war, he made it a defensive strategy. If we don't do this, the Russians are gonna get us, right? And, and they're gonna beat us. He made it a defensive strategy, whatever you need to get something, your vision across. But in 1919, what I didn't know, again, very jealous as a history buff, what he brought up, Manish brought up is in 1919, a young Lieutenant Colonel Eisenhower is one of the groups of people who dr drove across the country thinking it would take a week or two, hmm. took 60, 90 days. Now, here's where I'm going with this. I'm not trying to repeat Manisha's speech. What I'm trying to do is you think of us as leaders and you think of us in that executive council room where you know most of us are on different levels of our journey and leadership, even in that room. We're not all 40-year veterans. We're all in, in different levels of our journey. And I was thinking about the human brain for a second and the cultural phenomenon of saying, why do we need this when it's totally outside our framework? And, and so as I tease you to get your thoughts on this, that we might be entering an era where we really need business leaders with fundamental security background who can understand the offensive nature of this opportunity. You say that right now, and most people would say, 
I don't need that right now. I just need more video cameras or access control or more people or whatever it is, more budget. So I'm kind of interested if Manisha's vision is true, you're the practitioner now, you're in the commercial world now. What is, what is your thinking about accelerating that journey of ours? Is it possible today or do we need some kind of other analogs besides the information highway to, to lobby our business executives for a different kind of security? You know, I'm, I'm drawn back to that, that council meeting where we were talking and, and um, the discussion went to, and I think we actually talked about this. Do we need more money? Do we need more people? Do we right. need more resources? Right. Or is it that we need to think about ourselves in a different way? I, I agree with you 100%, Ron, that we need to be business leaders who have a security background and understanding. I often tell people, I am, I'm responsible for the security for my company, for my organization, but I am not the person who owns security for my company. Every single employee in my company owns security. They own their personal security. They own our corporate security. And it's my role and, and the role of my team to inform them and to advise them. And I dare say, coach them to understand that. And I remember when we were talking and we were discussing about, we need to be seen differently, but in order for other people to see us differently, we have to see ourselves differently, right? And I'm a security practitioner, absolutely 100%, and I'm proud of it but I am a problem solver and I can only solve problems that I know about. And so that information that Manish is talking about bringing in, that's huge and that's vital. But I also need to know the information that the, the C-suite has, their concerns, because again, I wanna help them solve both the problems today and what they see the problems being five years from now. That is so amazing. Um, so the real challenge, we talk about it, and, and I'd like, I'm sure other CSOs would love your advice on this, as well as people aspiring to be a CSO, but how do we work on ourselves so we have that understanding of ourselves where we need to be? And if, if so, what do I do about it? What new skills do I need to learn and understand? Or is it simply relational skills? What is it that will help bridge that gap? Well, obviously relational skills is important. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deny that, right? Um, but, but I would say also we owe it to ourselves to not look at, I'm gonna use an analogy, a pie, right? Let's get a good old American apple pie. We can't look at that pie as that is my pie. We have to look at that as it's all of our pie. And I don't care if the cybersecurity team gets the resources it needs to do, you know, an upgrade or to, to change how we do logins or because it's going to make my life as again, on the security side, 
better. Not always easier, but better. It's the same thing I should want and should encourage our operational teams to get the resources that they need. My facilities team to get those cameras or those uh, you know, new locks, new alarms, those type of things. I want them to do it. I don't have to do it. I don't care. And in reality, I don't care who does it as long as someone's doing it. I think if we, I think a failure point comes when we try to grab so much of the pie. When in reality, I don't want the pie. I want everyone else to have the pie. And I will just sit there and watch everybody eating the pie. No calories on this side. I had a great conversation once with our good friend, Stephen Antoine, who is now a senior uh, security executive at Pepsi, used to be at Yum. And um, we were talking about this old adage, you know, where we all want to have a seat at the table. You know, that used to be the big moan. I want a seat at the table. How do I get a seat at the table? Is it metrics? Is it something else? And I, what I love about your Apple Pie analog is this. What I, what I said to Stephen at the time is what if you didn't need to be at the table, just your ideas needed to be at the table? Well, I would add this, Ron. I look, and I'll be honest, I would love to be at the table but I don't need to be at the table. If like you said, our ideas are at the table and more importantly, when they leave the table, they still come to us right. with their questions and their concerns and their suggestions. So, so now if Manish is correct, literally he's recognizing and you brought this up, I think, in one of your subsessions, and you do it every day in your role at Nielsen, is every one of your operational leaders, whether it's finance, legal, uh, supply chain, whatever it is, HR, they all have a piece of the pie, if you will. They all have a piece of the pie. That is, they're getting information that involves risk, resilience, and security every day. They just don't have the whole pie, the whole picture. So what's interesting, remember in that networked interstate, we start realizing there's where the silos of information will never go away. How do we connect to those sil silos to quickly give them the whole picture is the key, right? And that, that's what's fascinating, what's coming here is we finally can get the actionable intelligent, intelligence contextually presented it's a one button push to the CEO and the board. It's another button push to HR, contextually presented. That's what's coming. That's exciting. Oh, it's absolutely exciting. And, and I, I think we, it's not just us that want that. I truly believe that the rest of organizations want this as well. They just don't know how to do it. And I think this is, again, the power that a security team can bring to an organization. It's not about, as we've all heard and used in the past, the guns, the guards, and the gates. It's about the vision and the way we look at things and the way we tackle a problem. It, to me, it's DEI all over again, right? It's the diversity of thought 
and ideas based on our experiences. Let's challenge the norm. Let, let's look at what the realm of possibility can be uh, and then bring it together. I, I, I believe everyone, like all those organizations you were talking about, those group elements want that. But when they only see their one slice, they only see their silo because we're not encouraging them to see anything else. I think that's the power of information. Once you start giving them the bigger picture, then the aperture opens and then the possibilities open and the trust and credibility open. That's when true optimization comes in, right? And it, I, I have to believe this, it doesn't require millions of dollars. It's just looking at things from a different lens together. A different lens together. That's so well-spoken. One of the other things we got in this summit is a survey, the survey results of CSOs across the country uh, talking about um, how they're managing data. 93% are actually actively adopting, realizing they have to adopt a new threat intelligence monitoring and alert solution. And the reason is, the other counterpoint to that is they're realizing they're missing things. Something like 80% of CFSOs said, we actually missed something because we didn't have the data that led to an incident or a, viol a violent act. That, that's pretty incredible stats. So I guess what's not missing, you tell me if I'm reading the data right, it doesn't seem that a sense of urgency is missing it's more now back to where that security leader fits in the budget cycle of his company, the leadership cycle of his company uh, or her company. I'm just using his as a generic, but is that true? I mean, are we, are we as a group already realizing the urgency and now we're all dealing with our individual circumstances on how to sell it into the company? Well, I think there's always going to be a certain amount of reactionary. I mean, you know, people will look at specifically when you're looking at insider threat and realize that we have to act upon things based on, you know, an event, we've got to react to it. Um, I think where the, the opportunity lies is that we can become more proactive. And again, I'll use an analogy within my company where when I first got there, I asked about having an insider threat program and how we address insider threats. And I quickly learned and observed that there was a, a lack of understanding of what insider threat is, um, a, a fear of it becoming a big brother's watching you type of thing. And, and there was a belief in my organization that we do not have insider threats. And I quickly pivoted to, well, let me give you the examples of your threats that you have had. You didn't call them an insider threat, but it was an insider threat. And how you have an insider threat program already in play, but it is not a unity of effort. You have HR tackling it from their side only. You have legal tackling it from their side only. You have privacy 
tackling it from their side only. You, you have facilities tackling it from their side. Cyber, no one talking together or rarely, I don't wanna say no, rarely talking together. And that's why we see so many misses because if we're only gonna look at something from one lens, then there was an analogy that someone used with me today you are always going to be looking through the straw, right? Because it's going to be so narrow. And um, we need to share experiences and share different viewpoints to then make those linkages, connect those dots. Uh, and, and again, I, there, all the naysayers against it, I think, it's about how you implement it. It's not that you need to implement it. I think people understand the urgency, as you were saying, they just didn't, they're, they're concerned about how we implement it, right? And if they have a voice in how we implement it, then I think, again, you can optimize the results and where you end up going. There may be many different paths too. Julie Bowen, who had an emergency during the summit was supposed to be in our council, but she sat with me on one of the sessions. And uh, we were talking to all these organizational constraints to making this happen. And she goes, that's why I finally just decided, she's a chief legal officer, why I finally just decided to bring it all under me. That way I could get rid of the constraints. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I go, whatever works, right? Yeah, she's not the first person. I, I know many people that have said that. In fact, I've been in, embassies where you know you've had a, a a dysfunction that something's not working properly and the ambassador's response was well just put it all under this person and make them all play well together that brings them into the room you still have to get them to play well together and and that you gotta it's the relationship building it's those elements of engagement and encouragement and trust and credibility that you got to spend some time on and you wouldn't even be able to say that if you're not experiencing it already in your, in your uh, private company uh, uh, environment. Um, one of the things when you were talking about these silos and everyone having a piece of the pie and, mm -hmm. and, and, and not able to connect, I thought of my daughter's playing soccer as a second grader. And if you've ever watched second grade soccer teams, they don't really know how to pass the ball very well. <laughs> So they're all running toward the same ball with all, all different intentions, right? And good intentions. And so in a way, our corporate structure is, and by the way, you probably experienced this at DSS. I mean, we saw in 9-11, in what, what did we see? The report later on said, essentially, we're a second grade soccer team. We're not passing the ball. Absolutely. We're not sharing information. Absolutely. Right? So- yeah. Uh, it's a new, it's a new world. You and I are lucky enough to be in it. And I just thank the lucky stars. I get to have great conversations like with you, Wendy. And I appreciate it so much. Thank you, Ron. I, I, I truly enjoyed this. And again, so glad that we were able to pull this together and look forward to having more. This has been a great, great conversation with Wendy Bastian.